Okay, welcome, welcome to our first class. We are going to be tackling the third book of Tanya, which is called Igaris Hachuva. We're going to talk a little bit about what, you know, what it's called, why it's called, and what we're going to be discussing. But first, we're going to take a minute to just get comfortable in our space, try to leave the stresses and the noise of the day behind us so we can be as present as we can for um, our one hour together. Okay, so the first thing I want you to do, gently close your eyes if you feel comfortable. And I just want you to be aware and to notice how you feel in your body in this moment. Okay, just don't try to change anything, do anything differently. Just take a minute to just notice where you're at. And when you feel comfortable, I want you to start to slowly deepen your breath and kind of slow it down a little bit. So a nice deep breath in and an exhale. Deep doesn't have to mean like act like super active. Your body doesn't have to be moving necessarily, but deep breath in. And out. When you when you inhale, try to inhale through your nose and exhale with a slight little opening in your mouth. So now we're going to try to activate our nervous system a little bit. So we're going to take 10 deep, 10 big breaths, a little bit more active than before. And then we're going to have a breath hold at the bottom, but I'll guide you through it. Okay. So deep breath in kind of in a rhythmic notice how that might be more activating, getting you kind of geared up. Six, three more, at the exhale, you're going to do a breath hold for 20 seconds or however long you feel comfortable. Okay. How did your body feel when you were, there was no breathing involved, just that empty space? Just take a minute, bring back that awareness. You can come back to that slow, steady breath. Let your breath come back to its natural rhythm. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. 
Okay, beautiful. Wiggle in your seat a little bit. You can actually do what Sarah's doing, roll your neck, kind of, you know, get comfy. We will end um, with a very similar breath work to kind of wrap it all up. So I'm not going to be like throwing um, all these different meditations with complicated stuff. We're going to kind of start and finish in the same way. Okay, so here we go. Igaris Hachuva, which is loosely translated as um, letter of repentance. First of all, I took a way longer break than I was hoping um, from our, our, our culmination of the first book of Tanya. And part of it was due to a kind of, I needed to really figure out what I wanted to do next and what kind of sat well and felt comfortable. And it took me a while to kind of figure it out. And I knew I wanted to maybe probably stick within the Tanya umbrella, but there, you know, there's different directions to go. And I just kept getting like messages and like little signs that were like kind of pushing and leaning me towards Igara Sachuba. And then I kind of was just, I was hesitating and I didn't know, like, I, I'm not, it's not something that like, I'm super for like really, you know, an expert on. And I also felt like in the times that we live in, I feel like it's scary to talk about um, accountability and kind of that return and maybe facing the fact that we don't always do things perfectly. And I know like we, we live in this age of, you know, imperfection, which is good. But on the other hand, we also live in the times where like you do you and the thing goes just, you know, full acceptance. And, and that's a really, on the one hand, that's a really great important place to be, but how do we um, at the same time, integrate the concept of, you know, accountability and living Torah lives and wanting to connect and and, and have a relationship with God, even when we're not perfect. And even when, you know, we're, we're struggling. So it took me like a little while to how to frame this in my mind and in my head and how to reconcile all these different things that and all these different ways we live our life. And if you saw on my Instagram stories, it was kind of like the culmination of what I'm trying to achieve for myself, what I'm trying to impart and, and how we're going to go on this journey together. So I view um, Shuva, which is connection and return as as a really amazing opportunity to, to connect with God. And we are going to be learning about different transgressions and, you know, when we might not be doing things perfectly and, and that's okay because that's the reality. And we're right. We're normalizing the struggle. We're normalizing this idea that, you know, we're not going to be perfect. And our, and our actually, our goal isn't to be perfect. And we're born like whoever was with me when we learned Tanya, like we're born with two souls, right? We're born with the dichotomy of wanting two opposite things constantly, right? And sometimes, you know, our animal soul kind of powers over the divine soul and vice versa. So here we are, you know, living in this world with all the challenges that God put in front of us. And but the beautiful thing is that God also gave us a system of repair, 
right? Obviously, he didn't expect us to be perfect, or we wouldn't have a system of repair. And I equate that to parenting, right? And we talked about this many times, but we're not going to be the perfect parents, we're not going to do everything right. But sometimes the most powerful moments is when we come back after a blow up or a harder situation. And that helps us connect and bring us even closer. So what I hope and what I my goal is for this class, we are going to be learning from the text. So we are going to be learning what the Altareba has written, which can be sometimes technical, can sometimes be triggering, can sometimes, you know, bring up emotions or disagreements, which is welcome, right? But hopefully this is a springboard for us to talk about these things, to learn from each other and how to connect and, and to open up those layers, right? And really, you know, broaden our perspective and enhance our day-to-day life and our connection with Hashem. So we hopefully will have a balance, right? We're going to be learning from the text. And sometimes maybe that's not going to be you know, super exciting. And, you know, it's always going to be exciting, but maybe not as philosophical as, you know, you might expect. But what I I really do think as I'm learning and as I'm researching, like there's, it's just such a springboard for so many different life situations and events and, and everything that can come our way. So that's my little introduction, how we, how I kind of got here and what I hope to accomplish um, with through this class. Now, I hope one day to have to go through all of the books of Tanya with you guys. And also just know that we're not we're not we're going to be kind of doing it differently than we did the first time. We're not really going by chapter. The chapters are very long. We're going, we're going to be doing it maybe a little bit more in depth. And we're going to just take it as it comes. So, you know, a little bit here and there, you can always stop when we need to if, if a if a topic takes us off you know, subject or tangents, that's what this class is for. So um, that was my personal introduction. If anyone has any questions or comments or concerns or whatever, please let me know. Um, but I'm going to jump right now into the official introduction to a Garasachuba that is actually um, in the book. And um, we'll, we'll go from there. Okay, so um, before we begin this, oh, sorry, one second. I actually just want to quickly review the the um, setup of the Tanya, just to kind of help you kind of put your like where we are, like what are we doing, what have we done, what what like what's the order of things. So the um, there's three main sections of the Tanya, right? So there's the first section, which is called Sefer Shalbanonim, which is the book of the in-betweeners, which is the psychologically oriented guide to our worship, right? Um, and if you've learned that, that's like a perfect explanation to, to what we what we did, right? The second book is actually called Shar Hayichar Ve'amina. That is the gateway to unity and trust. That is very, very, very esoteric and, and deep. Even though it be- comes before Geras HaTshuva, um, I chose to do a Gerasa Tshuva 
first, which is a letter on repentance. And the Rebbe says many times that, and that actually, it, it actually says in Agar Sachuba that you can study this third section of the Tanya on its own. It doesn't need to come after or before anything. You don't have to have, you, you did not have to have learned the first two sections of Tanya to really appreciate and learn Igar Sachuba. And there was the Rebbe for a, a many years had a campaign to actually take the time to learn this section of Tanya, regardless of any other previous knowledge, which is one of the reasons which pushed me in the direction to do a Gera Satshiva before Shariha Vemuna. So that's kind of where we are. Um, what are we going to be doing in this section? We're going to discuss the theory and practice of Tshuva, okay? And the term Tshuva has two connotations. We have the repentance part of it, and then we have the return, Okay, the return is that devotional reattachment to Hashem. And we're going to explore both of these themes at length. We're going to explore the repentance part of it, and we're going to explore the return. Now, what we don't address in this section is we don't address questions that might come, that might precede repentance. So if we have questions of like, should I repent? Or why should I even bother repenting? Those are not questions that are going to be addressed in this section. Those are more introspection where questions that you might talk to your mentor one-on-one about. This section is already when you come to the acceptance or the realization that this is where you are, right? And this is what you want to be doing, right? And um, what... And the other thing that we're not really going to go into is detail, like specific detailed sins or scenarios and exactly how to repent for each scenario in detailed forms. Okay. We're going to be talking more general, major categories of repentance. But as far as like, I did this specific thing, what are the specific details of my repentance? That's also a more of a personal um journey that you would consult whoever you feel comfortable with okay so um what are what are we going to be doing we're going to be focusing on the deeper layers and of the topic of repentance and exploring the essence of repentance with practical advice right and we actually it's interesting because the Agarasachiva actually is going to start more practically. Um, and then it's going to go, the second part of, of the book is going to go more into like the deeper um, esoteric concepts of chuva to the point where we actually talk about um, how repentance and chuva is even connected to like the concept of our world and the creation of the world and how it's intertwined with that from the beginning, right? Repentance was an idea that the world was created with and how it affects the, the, all the way that, you know, everything kind of falls into place and pans out. Okay. Um, the, the second part is also going to give us a vantage point of what repentance how repentance affects the heavenly realms outside of our own personal experience. Everything that happens down here is magnified many fold 
up in the in the spiritual realm. So every little thing that we do here has huge, immense impact on high. So that goes for our positive actions and that also goes for our negative actions. Okay. And this, this phenomenon of repentance is, is really transcends the human realm and like the natural order of the universe. It's just like this, it, it, it's so much more than it seems. And it's such an integral part of our service of Hashem. And when we repent, what's happening is, is that we're transforming impurity to holiness. If you were to just, you know, make this, what is repentance in a bite-sized sentence, you're transforming impurity to holiness. That's what we do when we, when we repent. And it's amazing because that process happens the second a person makes that internal shift and makes the decision to act differently or change or resolve to, to live their lives in a different way. The second that intention is set in your heart, that transformation starts on high. So it just shows how powerful uh, all that inner, you know, intentions and mindfulness, all that, how, how really powerful that really, that really is. Of course, it needs to be um, followed through, right? Like we're not going to have our full results, full results if we just set intentions and we don't follow through with them. But the start of the process, the start of like that actual transformation on high from impurity to holiness starts just by setting that intention. Okay. And really when we say like repentance, slash return. It's that, it's that move to repair and it's that move to ascend from where we were previously. And I just, I really find that um, perspective on repentance and thinking about it as a repair system and a system that, uh, that ascends our and magnifies our relationship with Hashem. I find it so empowering and so hopeful right because like we're we're never in a situation where we can't repair it with god like there's never a time where it's like you're a goner you you're too far gone you don't have a chance anymore like that doesn't exist with god and it's like it's really comforting to know like no matter how badly i screw up Like I always have a path of return and what we're going to learn more and more is what that path looks like. And for different transgressions, you know, the journey of that, of that, of that return. Okay. So, um, like I said, we're going to start off with more of that practical guidance that the more of the nature and the purpose of repentance, and then kind of slowly um, merge into a deeper understanding of repentance. Now, there are two levels of repentance, okay? They're, and they're referred to as the lower level and the higher level, okay? And to define these two levels, we have to um, examine and understand the effect that the sin has on our divine soul, which is a, a literally a piece of God, 
right? If whoever studied the first chapter of Tanya is very familiar with the, the, like the holiness and the proximity of our soul to God, right? It's literally a piece of God. So when we sin, what happens to our divine soul when we sin? Okay, so we're going to kind of delve into that because in order to understand how to return, we need to understand what's actually happening when we rebel or turn our backs to God. Okay, so this this lower level of teshuva has two aspects. We want to awaken our compassion. Okay. Um, for our soul, like we feel bad for our divine soul, that we put it into a position of disconnect from its source, right? If you think about it, we're taking our soul and we're taking it away from the thing that enlivens it. That's very painful for the soul. And we also um, part and we, we talk about this at the end of the of the end of Tanya that we discuss is that we also need to attain a broken heart. And the, remember the, the, I just said this the other day, it's the, 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 the connection is in, or the return is in the brokenness. Okay. Now that may seem a little scary, but if you think about it in our day-to-day lives, like when are we most open? When are we most open to change or to do things differently or to, you know, really feel where we're at is when we're a little broken, right? There's nothing more full than a broken heart, right? So in order to really push us in the direction of reconnection, we have to have compassion for our soul. And we also have to feel a little broken. Like if we don't feel broken, and if we don't feel a little bad, that we're in this position that what is the motivator for us to reconnect? If we're like, okay, um, or if we take on that attitude of like, I'm, I'm, I'm good just the way I am, which is true in a certain sense, right? Everyone is perfect and whole in God's eyes. Like we're all like loving humans and creatures to Hashem at the same time, we're human, right? And we, we make mistakes and we, um, we have a program to return. So in order to really for that return to feel authentic and to be really true, we need to feel a little broken. I was just having a conversation with, with one of my kids last night when our whole life kind of fell apart. <laughs> and I, and we, ha- we were having a very hard time kind of recognizing and owning our mistake, right? And it was everybody else's fault. And it was, it was a very difficult to really wrap our brain around this idea that I screwed up, right? And one of the messages that I was trying to share, and I do share often, is that if we don't recognize where we went wrong, we're going to keep making the same mistake over and over again, because we don't, we're not, we're not, we're not owning it. We don't recognize that it's wrong. We don't face it. We're too busy pushing it away, maybe because we feel shame or, because we, we don't know how to manage those emotions of, of that failure. And we can feel that way with God. Like, I'm sure I've felt that way before. Like, 
I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel like a failure. I don't want to feel like my service isn't good enough. So I'm just going to push it away and keep chugging along and pretend that nothing's wrong. I felt that before. Um, So that's where that brokenness comes in. If we don't recognize like where we're at and where we messed up without the shame, there's no part of chuva that asks you to feel shame in a way that's like belittling. What's asked of us is to be really self-aware, really self-aware to like really recognize, "Mm, I could have done that better or yes, I did, you know, whatever, insert whatever transgression that, you know, makes sense for you. I did do that. Um, I do feel disconnected. I feel badly about disconnected, being disconnected. I feel bad for my soul that I put it into that position and I want to connect that that's kind of where we're headed. So, um, now I'm sure you've heard, like, I don't know when I, when I, yes, Karee, I'm going to, un. can you unmute yourself? Yes. Go ahead. Harry. Hi. Hi. Um, oh gosh, please don't lose the train of thought now. What you were just saying, uh, what if you know, or if you realize at the time that you're messing up? So you're aware that you're doing it and you're doing it anyway. That's a really good question. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure we will get to that in a, in a practical way, but just off the top of my head, I feel like all, many times when we're sinning, we know that it's, or when we're disconnecting from God and we're making a choice that's the opposite of connection, we know that, right? But our animal soul is too powerful and is overpowering our sense of reason. And we're being, you know, we're making a wrong choice. I, I don't think that changes anything about repentance. It's like, not a double transgression. No, I don't think so because I think there, there's this transgression that's a mistake or or a real like I didn't realize I was doing it or it was a mistake or you know there's that kind of thing, um, and then there's the thing of like yeah like I ate a cheeseburger and I it was delicious and I shouldn't have but I couldn't control myself. That's what you're repenting for. That's what you're right. Like that's what you're hoping to reconnect. Like, I don't think anywhere in the conversation of repentance, it says that you have to have not realized that you were doing a sin. I think it's about intentional sin, if that makes sense. But I'm sure we'll get to that more. That's just like a quick, a quick answer. Um, so when, so when I hear Igaras Hachuva, I associate it because I never really learned it in depth. And when you kind of overview it or you learn it when you're doing your daily learning or whatever, you, uh, for me, I associated a Gerasa with fasting and tzedakah. Like, oh, you sinned. Here's the amount of days you have to fast. Here's the amount of tzedakah you have to give because it actually does talk about that. So fasting is a way to reach that brokenness of heart. What, what's the concept is that when we're suffering physically, right? We're more open to tapping into that suffering in our soul and we're uncomfortable and we connect, right? So the concept of fasting is not that it's not real and not that 
you know, it's not a tool that's used. But actually, in Igarasa Chuba and in the Tanya, it says it's not an ideal way to reach where we want to be. It's not an ideal way to repent. So maybe, you know, in the 1700s, there was a, a movement where it was a lot of um, physical, like, suffering that people would put upon themselves, right? Living poorly, not fasting, you know, uh, sleep deprivation, all those things like that. That was a very common thing a a few hundred years ago. Hasidus comes along and says, that's not how we want to serve God, right? That's a very kind of negative and suffering kind of way of a relationship. So not to say that it doesn't work, but that's not where we want that's not where we want the source of our relationship to, to, to stem from, right? This suffering and this, you know, um, imposing on physical suffering. So yes, it's a way, but what we, the more powerful way and the way that we're going to be discussing more in depth, like we will address the fasting, but the, the thing that we're going to be focusing on is we want to, what our goal is, is to become masters of introspection. Okay, we want to to excel in the art of self-examination. We want to be able to look at ourselves, to be real, to be honest, to be true, and to assess where we're at with our relationship with God and then go from there. Okay, so what our goal is, is and which which we actually accomplish a lot through meditation, right, is to sit with that introspection, to sit with who we are, to sit with our actions, to sit with our thoughts, to sit with our, you know, and, you know, that's very similar. It can be in journaling, right? Or use the time of Shema to really think about your day, right? And to really become this this master of self-examination. So when we mess up, which we will, right? We are going to have the tools to be able to face it, right? And to see it and to name it and be like, yep, I, I messed up. Yep, I messed up in this and this way. And I'm going to sit with, with, with that feeling and then I'm going to act on it. So the most powerful way of return is to be someone who can be honest with themselves someone who can sit with their feelings, right? We talk about this all the time in like modern, modern psychology, right? Like we have to be able to sit with our feelings. The second we're running away from a feeling, an emotion, something we did, we're never going to be at peace because when you're running from something, you're, you're, you're not at peace when you're running from the tiger, right? If you're, if you're, anxiety is always activated and you're always on the run and you're always trying to escape something that's not going to foster introspection, connection, self-examination, right? That's just, we're constant. We don't have the capacity to feel the feels, right? Where it's too scary, right? So with it, so what we're trying to accomplish and do here is to be masters of sitting with who we are, sitting with our feelings, sitting with our mistakes, and then being able to take that as a springboard for that return, okay? So only after we achieve the lower level of chuva, right? Only then can we achieve the higher level. Like the higher level doesn't come before the, like you can't, it's not like 
choose higher level or lower level. It's lower level. And if you accomplish the lower level, then you can move on to the higher level. What's the higher level? The higher level of chuva entails um, the return of the divine soul to its state of being before it was even created. So basically what we're doing is really um, allowing that connection of our soul to Hashem to like, not like nothing has ever separated it. Like it never happened, right? That's that higher level of tshuva. It only comes after the lower level. And how do we accomplish this higher level of tshuva? It's about loving Hashem and wanting to like cleave to him, which is like a stronger word for connection. Like to really, does it, <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded of like, you ever have a kid that's like your little literal shadow and everywhere you go and everywhere you turn, they're like right behind you. They're like stick to you. So like, that's what our soul wants to do with God. Like it wants to like never be separated. How do we accomplish that? Torah and mitzvahs. Full circle. Right? How do we accomplish that loving connection to Hashem that that inspires love and just never wanting to be separated? You learn his Torah and you do his mitzvahs, right? So it's kind of like this this very fluid cycle, right? Like, you know, um kindness breeds kindness, sleep breeds sleep, right? Like all those things, like mitzvahs breed connection which makes us want to connect more right it's like if you're in that positive cycle um life will be a lot easier if we if we get into that negative cycle something is going to have to inspire us to get out of that negative cycle and um do something different okay so the ultimate message that we end off this book this letter of repentance is that is one of hope and encouragement. I'm giving you kind of like an overview of what we're going to be doing in like a bridge version. And then we're going to, you know, really get there. So what we're going to leave with and every class needs to end on that note, right? Is hope and encouragement because we can sin as many times as we do. And God is abundantly and infinitely forgiving. So even if you do the same thing over and over again, or if you keep sinning, God is abundant in his forgiveness. He will infinitely forgive us, which we talked about in a, in a, a previous time in class I had, but it has to be authentic. It's not lip service. Okay. Like lip service. I'm sorry, God, whatever, like obviously God can see right through that. So when you are, returning and when you're going through that process of repentance if it's authentic if it's coming from your heart and your soul you will it will be received there's no such thing as god saying i don't forgive if you're doing it from the right place there's no such thing as god saying i don't forgive you right which is really hopeful and really encouraging okay um and it's just really like kind of mind blowing and really special that God provides us with this um, path to atonement, right? Like it's not, we don't have to figure it out ourselves. We don't, we're not flailing in the wind when we're disconnected. Like 
there's many times in interpersonal relationships where we're in a place of disconnect and we don't know how to make our way back, right? It's confusing. You really, you're stuck. You don't know what's the right thing to do or what the person wants or what the person needs or, you know, what will, what will land right, right? But with God, like he tells us, like, this is what you do, right? This is the path. These are the steps. And there's no like, lost in translation or this abandonment of if I sin or if I'm, you know, disconnected or I'm on a rebellious path that I don't know my way back. Right. And of course, sometimes that's, that's with guidance and that's with, with support of other humans. But if, if we want to, if we're in the place that we're ready to return, there's a program, right? Um, And just remember that small acts down here have big impacts above. So we're going to talk about that in many different ways. But in one in one way is that when sometimes the path of repentance will include some physical suffering, depending on what your sin is and what the scenario is. Sometimes our physical suffering is part of a, a path to return. Now, I, I don't do disclaimers, but I'm going to do one here because it's important, not as a disclaimer, but as, as a, a point to remember. That does not apply for you to look at somebody else's suffering and say, oh, that's, they must have screwed up or they must have done something really bad if they're suffering, right? Like you will never know. Suffering, there's many reasons for suffering. And it's not, oh, it's not, many times it's not connected to, transgressions in any way right but if for your own service of God if we experience a hardship or a suffering we can look at it as a cleansing or as a path of connection to Hashem whatever we're learning in this book is for our own service and relationship with God it does not and should not ever apply to you looking at somebody else's life okay so just in general, like I, I may or may not remind you of this concept, but it always applies. Everything that we learn that is about our relationship and connection to Hashem is all for your own service and for your own path and journey. When we see somebody else's suffering, the only thing that should cross our mind is empathy, compassion, and a cry out to Hashem, why, why are you doing this, right? That's the only response to somebody else's suffering. To our own suffering, Many different responses are appropriate and okay, but sometimes you are in the place to be like, okay, this, this is my work, right? This is my work, right? The service is in the work. When something is hard, when something is difficult, when you're moving through a really difficult time in your life, that is an opportunity for connection. Sometimes you accomplish it. Sometimes you're there and sometimes you're not. That's life, but it is an opportunity um, when we can tap into it and see it. Okay. So when so back to the suffering if we feel there's a challenge in our lives and a and and we're suffering sometimes to to help us through and encourage us we can think small like suffering down here has huge impact above which means that either in the world to come you are free and clear right or you're having immense impact on the world on high because everything that happens down here is magnified above okay So that is the end to um, the introduction to where we're headed, what we're going, where we're going, the breakdown of, of 
you know, the concepts that we're going to be um, tackling. Any questions before we move on? We're going to, I guess, where it's already 8.15 and we are going to end with a meditation and I do want to leave some time for, time for questions. So we're not going to get into chapter one too much, but I do want to start a little bit. But any questions or anything that comes up for you before we actually start chapter one? Yes. Just unmute yourself, okay? Yeah. There you go. Um, I do it this way. I'll just ask the question and then you can say, like, <clears throat> take that to your therapist. <laughs> um, okay, sure. But like, what if, what if your desire for repentance is coming from a place of fear and anxiety? Like, it does it, is it still like, I don't know. Does that still count? Is that still legit? Like, that's an excellent question. And I think we will get into that a little bit further on, but off the top of my head, there is a, there is times and there are, there are times in people's lives where they serve God out of fear. Okay. Um, And there are actually movements that kind of use fear as motivation over love. That is a legitimate service, right? Um, And so I'm not going to say that if you're repenting out of fear of like punishment, that it's not, it's not a real, I think that's more of a, it's, I think that would fall under more of the repentance, but you're not really doing the returning, right? Because it's like, I'm scared of the punishment and that's as far as it gets me, but do I, am I motivated for connection? right? The motivation for connection comes from the the desire and the love to connect and attach. So, so a healthy dose of fear is never bad, right? Even with our children, like we want to have, in certain scenarios, we want them to be a little scared, right? Like dangerous situations or, or not crossing boundaries, right? Like there, it's not that we're saying fear should never be a part of your service. It's just, we don't want fear to be our driving force and our only mode of service fear combined with a really with love being your motivation right it's all about the motivation where's your motivation coming from right and we we say like for me this is a very big mantra in our life like in my life and I try to impart that to my children and my husband like any decision we make out of fear is usually not going to go so well because it's a it's it's just you're operating, you're operating out of scarcity, not out of of abundance, you're operating out of fear. And that doesn't usually get you to the place where you want to be, right? Making decisions out of love, out of connection, out of abundance, that's going to get you much farther. So I think the same applies to repentance in our relationship with God. Yeah, you could part of your reason for repenting is you're like, I don't don't want to be punished, right? I don't want the results of this sin to affect me, right? That's a good motive. That's a good piece of the motivation, but that will only get you so far, right? And you're not going to really be motivated to connect and return if you're just operating out of fear. So I do think it's a valid service. And I don't think that God's going to be like, nope, sorry, you know, you don't count, right? But I do think you're only going to get yourself so far. You need to have the love for a sustainable relationship, right? Relationships that are, um, if you think about even our human interpersonal relationships, if they're relationships of of fear, how long is that relationship going to last, right? How well is that going to go? How motivating it is, is it to 
to um, continue and invest in a relationship that's only out of fear, right? It's only going to get you so far. A, a relationship out of love, even if it has challenges, right? Even if it's a struggling relationship, if the motivation is connection and love, it's going to get you much farther. Did that, did that answer? Yes. Okay. Yeah. okay, perfect. Any other questions we have? Okay, so let's just... Tip, dip our toes into chapter one so we can get on our way. And then we will, we will take it as it comes and continue lesson by lesson. We don't really have to even pay attention to like what chapters, like it's really not important, but um, I just want to like get, 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 dip our toes in a little. So before we begin our, you have a question? Yeah, go ahead. Just a quick one. Um, are you putting this up on YouTube like you yes. used to so yes, I can yes, go yes. over it again? Okay. Every class, um, at hopefully the next day, but, you know, give me a little, you know, time. But next day or the day after, the class will be on YouTube if you want to watch the video. And will also be on Apple Podcasts if you just want audio. And God willing, it will get onto Spotify too. It's just not on the, It's just not set up yet, but that's my goal. So first of all, if you ever miss a class, you never have to worry. It'll always be there. And second of all, if you want to re-listen or you want to just, you know, you, whatever, it's going to be there for whatever reasons you want. Um, okay. So before we begin the in-depth discussion on Chuba, we have to discuss the concept of atonement. Okay. So this is very fascinating how it's, it's split up. And then this is where we'll end off. Teshuva represents your efforts to God to forgive you for to forgive you for your sin. Okay, teshuva. That word teshuva represents that that like that act of remorse and you know return and the end. But basically, the teshuva is the what your actions are, your actions of and your efforts for Hashem to forgive you. Atonement is God's response to your teshuva. Okay. It's Hashem forgiving and cleansing you of any remnants of the sin. Okay. So the atonement is the goal, right? Our goal is to be atoned by God and it's the outcome of teshuva. Okay. So we start off with the teshuva process that's what we are in control of, what we are actions to reconnect to Hashem, atonement is God's response. Okay. Um, does he forgive you? And does he remove all remnants of that sin? Now we're going to discuss three different categories of sins and how they play out differently and the steps to actually receive atonement. And they're different for every category of sin. Okay. I think this is a good place to leave off. Next class, we'll actually really start chapter one. We'll begin with a quote from the, from the Talmud, which is usually how Tanya starts. And we'll delve into the, the three categories of sins, what that does differently to our soul, why they need a different path of atonement um, for each category. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Okay. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to end class with a short meditation and a little bit of breath work to allow you to process, to 
to sit with the knowledge that we learned, to kind of integrate that into um, our hearts and our minds, come up with something that you want to take with you that's maybe practical or something that you're going to think about later in the week. And then we'll allow a couple minutes for questions if anything comes up after that. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, close your eyes again. Take a deep breath. Just let it all out. You know, if it's, you know, there's this concept called the psychological sigh, right? Which is just, do you know why we, when we're stressed, right? That psychological sigh like relieves a lot of tension in our body. So if you feel like you want to do that or you want to like wiggle around, um, and again, let's start with that awareness. What are we feeling right now? Do we feel different, differently than when we started class? Do we feel the same? Just notice, right? There's never a right or wrong way to feel. It just is, right? And just be comfortable sitting with that. Start to change your breath a little bit. Um, start to slow your breath. Start to deepen your breath. Try when you exhale to really feel that expansion. And when you inhale to feel that grounding. Inhale deeply through your nose. Exhale. And now we're going to do that 10 big breaths again to lift our nervous system. When we um, change our breath and we do different things with our breath, it does different things to our nervous system. So we want to activate our nervous system a little bit. So we're going to take a little bit faster pace breaths. So deep breath in, out, inhale, exhale. Follow the rhythm, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, all the breath out, and then hold your breath for however long it's comfortable. Reflect on what, it, what you feel when you stop breathing. What comes up for you? Is it, are you anxious? Are you relaxed? Okay, and we're gonna do that deep breath cycle one more time. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale. Inhale, exhale, hold. And now to kind of even out our nervous system, cycle back to that slow and deep, relaxed breaths. And while you're doing that, 
think about anything that really talked to you in what we just spoke about. Um, I'm going to leave you with a Hasidic thought that you can mull over. There can be no question that tshuva is effective in every case and whatever the transgression. For tshuva is one of God's commandments and God does not require of us the impossible. So that's, that's from the Rebbe. And basically, there's no scenario where tshuva doesn't apply. And of course, if tshuva was something that God mandated and planned for us, it's obviously something that we can do. So this is accessible. This is reachable. Sit with any insights, memories, thoughts that anything in the class might have brought up or this meditation might have triggered for you. Let your breath just kind of naturally follow your natural rhythm. Let it all go. It's okay for your mind to wander. That's what it's designed to do. You can just be more aware of your surroundings, your seat on your chair. You can wiggle your fingers and your toes. You can roll your neck and gently open your eyes when you're ready. Okay, perfect timing. I don't want to keep you longer than an hour. So we have a couple minutes for any questions. So when I questions, thoughts, feelings, emotions, anything that's come up for you, anything you want to share, anything that you're struggling with or didn't doesn't sit well with you, like this is the place, this is the safe space to share whatever comes up for you. It's all important and good and relevant. So please share anything that came up for you during your meditation or during class. If there's anything that anyone wants to contribute, please do. Nothing. Okay, fine. It's first class. We're we're gonna get to. We're gonna. This is, we're not gonna be shy. Soon we're gonna be like. <laughs> you're gonna okay, be like, I have something to say. Who is talking? This, me. Oh, Marie. Okay. Aaron. This was very, very enlightening, very enriching. It was. I don't want to tell you like this is the best class I've ever had because every <laughs> time, every time, it's the same thing. <laughs> I hope so. It better be every class. Better be the best one. <laughs> but you are so good for me. This is oh, so good you. for me. It's I'm so glad. It brings me back. It's almost like I'm repenting. Oh, oh, beautiful, beautiful. I'm so glad that this is what you need and what you want, and it's speaking to you. That really makes me happy. Any other questions, thoughts, worries, concerns? Okay. As you know, um, anyone who, who obviously is on this group knows my email and probably can contact me which with whatever means you have, social media, email. If there's any questions that come up for you during the week or something that's bothering you, please do not hesitate to reach out. I'm not always the best at responding to emails in a timely fashion, but I will try. <laughs> and um, if there's no other questions, I'm going to let you go.
And I am so grateful. I'm so happy to be back. This is my happy place too. It's been too long and I'm excited to go on this journey with you together. And um, I always gain so much more than I give. So thank you for being here and have a wonderful night. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much.